0: Hallelujah. Help me praise God for our music ministry. Thank God for them serving week in and week out. Again, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. It has been a month, a little bit over a month that I've stood before you to share the word of God and I'm excited. Amen. To stand before you today to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Just a little, a little pastoral, transparent moment. This month of July off has been refreshing to me uh, for many, many reasons. Um, this has been a hard year for me. And I was at the point of, I told Brittany, I said, Brittany, I think, I think, I think, I think our time may be up. I said I don't know I said I'm just easily frustrated dissatisfied and just mad. It's challenging leading while you're bleeding. Preaching when you're mad. Serving when you're upset. Frustrated and agitated and can't even identify why you feel the way that you feel. I said, I got to step away because I got to be clear on what the next step is. Praying to God. I had more questions for God than I had answers coming from him. And frustrated with God because why aren't you answering my requests? Why aren't you telling me yes, no, go, stay, maybe so, move forward, collect $100 like Monopoly. Tell me something so that I can be able to get out of this mood that I'm in. It was almost like a Clark Kent moment. God would give me what I needed for the assignment. But then when the preaching moment was over, I would go back. Mentally and emotionally just in a very bad place. I said, God, you got to give me some answers on something. Because I can't continue on in this capacity in this way. I told Brittany, I said, Brittany, this, I I think, I think, I think it might be time for us to just move on and do something else. And I'm not talking about moving because somebody made me mad. I got a good church. I got good people here at the well. I know that. But not feeling like I'm effective enough in doing what God has called me to do here. And I said, hey, you know what I think? I said, because if, if the Lord says go. I can't stay in Carbondale and not be at Hopewell. I said, so if God says go, we're going to have to go all the way somewhere else because Hopewell is too much in me to be here in the city and not be here at 400 East Main Street. And she said, I support whatever you want to do, but, I said, woman of God, you don't have to add the but. She said, but whatever you do, make sure you hear God on what to do. started meeting regularly with my therapist and sharing with her everything that was going on trying to make sense and taking my journal and reading to her stuff that I had wrote down I feel this way I'm mad about this I'm angry about that all of these different feelings and emotions and thank God thank God for a safe therapist she said she said pastor be still and wait to hear from God She said, don't make any sudden moves. Be still and wait until you hear from God. And I'm so glad that I stood still and waited to hear from God. Then to make a move, a major move, a drastic move out of feelings and emotions rather than moving because God said to go, but moving because my flesh said to go. So I stand before you this morning, hope well, refreshed, excited, (laughs) rejuvenated, and ready to go on to see what the end is going to be. So I know that the Lord is not done with well Missionary Baptist Church yet. But that there is yet still more for us to be able to do as passing people, shepherd, and sheep, as we endeavor to bring help to our city, restoration to our community, and hope to our world. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a church that allowed me to step away for a whole month. A pastor uh, commented that he tried to do that, told his board that he needed a break. And the board told him that if you miss one Sunday, we'll stop paying you. He had no choice but to continue on. Even though mentally and emotionally, sister preacher, he was messed up. Thank God. Thank God that I have a church that respects and honors the leader to give him rest. That's something to praise God for right there. Grab your Bibles and go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. That's enough on the soapbox. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Nehemiah chapter 1. Verses three through seven. To all of our first-time guests, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. To those watching online, make sure you share this. Tag somebody else in it so they can be a part of the Hopewell experience. Nehemiah chapter one, verses three through seven. It's our custom to stand for the reading and the reverence of God's word. If you're able to stand, stand. If you can't, we do understand. Oh, I sound like a rapper there, don't I? <laughs> Pass on, went away, came back, DJ Chip, yeah. Nehemiah chapter 1, 3 through 7. It reads as this. It says, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, obeying your decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. We started a new series today entitled We Got Work to Do. And I want to title part one of this It Starts with a Burden. Look at somebody around you and say, Neighbor, it starts with a burden. Father, we thank you now for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your unfailing, compassionate, long-suffering love that you extend to, to us time and time and moment and moment again. May we be forever changed from being in your presence of your word. May we walk away not just feeling good, but ready to do good. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you got a neighbor around you, just look at them, smile at them, amen, and wink at them. Don't wink too hard though. Amen. We'll let them know that you are glad to see them today at the well. I believe that we have been presented a divine opportunity within the body of Christ as a whole, but more specifically um, as the well, that we have been given an amazing opportunity to be able to reimagine ministry to be able to reimagine what church looks like now truth be told and I have to struggle with this myself brother rich that it was hard to realize that what I knew as church three four years ago is never going to be the same way that it is today that what I grew up and experienced in church is not going to be the same experience that my girls will have now There's no telling. We may be in masks for the rest of our lives. There may be different variants and other stuff that keeps popping up Months after months, year after years. Have no idea what's going to happen. We just put our trust and our faith in God. But what I do know and realize that in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of different variants popping up, that there is still a need for the church to be able to do the ministry of Jesus Christ. That just because that we are yet still navigating through a global pandemic does not mean that the church is on pause. Does not mean that the church is in a recess. Does not mean that we just stopped doing what we're doing. It just simply means that we have to learn, Joe, how to continue to pivot and pivot and pivot and change up and change up and change up and be more versatile so that we can continue to be able to lift him up so that he can be able to draw all men unto himself. It is a great opportunity for us to be able to rebuild ministry. Everybody say rebuild. Say it again. Say rebuild. It's a great opportunity for us to be able to reimagine and to be able to rebuild ministry for what it needs to look like now and for the generations to come. It means that we cannot get stuck in the same methods of how we've been doing things time and time and time again. It simply means that we have to be innovative and creative in what we do. But even in the midst of being innovative and creative, that we are yet still going old school and praying and seeking the face of God and what moves or directions that we need to take because here it is every good idea is out a God idea oh my every good idea is out a God idea what may work in one place may not work here and it may not work here in Carbondale may not work here at Hopewell that context plays such a unique role in that but we have to embrace change that is forever with us and that is forever. Changing. If there is one thing that's going to continue, if there's one thing that's going to be consistent, that is going to be change. Change is our friend if we look at it right. Change is our buddy if we look at it right. Change is not something that we should fear. Change is not something that we should fear. Change is not something that we should reject. Change is something that we should be able to embrace because sometimes the reason why we struggle with change is because change interferes with our preferences and our comforts. Oh, I'm preaching already. You ain't gotta say nothing to me today. I know I'm preaching. Change interferes with our preferences and our comfort zone. And so whenever, whenever our comfort zone, whenever our preferences are tested, oh you wanna see somebody have an attitude. Ask them to move from their seat to a different seat in church. Want to see somebody get an attitude in church? Ask them to scoot down when they're sitting at the very end of the pew, that real good end of the pew, where you can be able to get out and have a little bit more leg room to stretch your leg out, get out when you want to, make that quick exit before pastors are hugging folks at the end of the service. Ask them why, because their preferences and their comfort zone is being tampered with. But yet still, there's a great opportunity for us to be able to re. One thing that I want us to know from the very beginning of this series is that comfort or our personal preferences has the potential to paralyze us from doing anything at all. Comfort personal preferences has the potential to stop us from rebuilding i love the story of nehemiah because it's such a great story on leadership it's such a great practical story that we can be able to put ourselves in nehemiah's shoes that we're able to put ourselves in the context of what's going on all around him i love it i love it because it shows a man that has a heart for god and a man that has a heart for god's people nehemiah comes on the scene this is not just some ordinary brother this is a brother who has a good job. He has a very good job. He lives in the palace of the king of Persia. He lives with him and his job is the cup bearer to the king. This is a brother that has to be very well taken care of. This is a brother that has to make sure that he is on it every day. Why? It is his job to taste the food before the king tasted it to make sure ain't no poison in it. It is his job to taste the drink of the king before the king tastes it to make sure that there's no poison in it. So Nehemiah cannot walk around looking crazy because Nehemiah is looking crazy. That's going to be trouble in a palace because that would seem, that would mean that there may be a potential threat that was coming at the king. And Nehemiah called it first. This is a brother that has a good position and a good job. The Bible says that Nehemiah gets word that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and that the gates have been destroyed. Commentary says that Nehemiah is almost 800 miles away from everything the ruins in Jerusalem. Even though he was not there physically, his heart was there. There was something that was tender about his heart. That when he heard about the walls of Jerusalem lying in ruins, that something perked up on the inside. And it caused him to have a burden. I love this story so much because it, 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 it us again with what I said about comfort and our, and our preferences potentially paralyzing us from doing anything at all. I love it because Nehemiah does not allow his comfort of having a good job, having a good house, having a good check, having good benefits to stop him for caring about some people that he is disconnected from physically and don't even have relationships with at all. I love it because something pricks the heart of Nehemiah that he realizes even though I may have it good where I am right now, there are people outside of where I am that don't have it as good as I do. And Nehemiah realizes that because of that, there is something that has to be done to be able to solve the issues of those that are going through some stuff outside of the palace. I hope you're catching. Well, uh, I hope you. I hope you catch what I'm throwing out this morning. Hope well. Hope well. Hope well. Please hear me that you and I, we come in Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We come and we give God a good hour and 15 minutes. We're not going to get out 11:15 today. Praise God amen we come here and we give God a good hour 15 minutes a good hour 30 minutes and we've done quote-unquote we've done our religious duty for the week and then we go on and we do life and do what we need to do and we fail to realize that around us outside of the four walls of the church there are people that are not experiencing life the way that we're experiencing life the people They're just like the, the people of Jerusalem. They are living in ruins. Bible says that they are people of reproach, meaning they're living in embarrassment. They're living in poor conditions. And Nehemiah, thank you, Holy Spirit, realizes that, hey, I can either see this from my point of view from my privilege or. I can flow with what the Holy Spirit is pricking in my heart that's causing a burden to happen on the inside that's making me aware that there is something going on on the outside that needs to be solved and that maybe I'm the one that God wants to be able to use to help bring about change of what's going on on the outside. Here it is, here it is. Oh, well, here it is. Before the Lord does, uses us to do any great work for him, he does a great work in us first and this is what God is doing in the life of Nehemiah he's sitting there, look at this y'all, look at the text I'm not lying to you this morning, he's sitting there in the palace of the king sitting there I don't know he might be eating real good he might have him a cup of Dunkin Donuts coffee and some hash browns amen six count on the side I'm not real sure what the brother is doing but he's sitting there he gets word from his brother Hananiah that the walls of Jerusalem are down and that they're lying in ruins and that the gates have been destroyed by fire and what happens to Nehemiah in verse 4 is that what he hears turns into a burden in his heart oh god i'm preaching already and i love it he realizes something happens he realizes that what he has heard has now turned into a burden and i love it because the burden brother gear that 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 that, that nehemiah has has nothing to do with Nehemiah, but it has everything to do with other people that lives are lying in ruin. I love it because the, the burn that Nehemiah has has nothing to do with Nehemiah benefiting from anything, but has everything to do about a people that are living in destruction. Oh, well, do we care about anybody else and anything else besides ourselves? Oh, God, help me preach this morning. Oh, well, do we have a concern for anybody else and anything else besides ourselves? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Have we built church and ministry based off of our our preferences rather than the needs of individuals that are around us? Have we made ministry about what we want and not what they need? So in other words, I'm asking us this morning, church, Do we have a burden? Do we have a burden of a focus that's not centered around us, but is centered around someone or something else? Do we have a burden of concern that we are concerned about how there is, that we have a concern that when we walk right out of the building, there are people living right out there right now. And have been living there for some time. No water. It's been hot as Hades outside. No restroom, no shower, no food, no fan. That when we walk right out and we make a left right here down Jackson Street, make another left right here down Gum Street, And we know the acting, do we not have a concern? There's nothing for me, so I pull up to my office to pick up cigarettes and bottles of gin and Magdahl 2020, bottles, bottles after bottles after bottles, I quickly put in the garbage so so won't nobody think the pastor been slipping and tipping. Do we not have a concern about the conditions of those that are living in ruins? I love it because Nehemiah, he realizes, hey, if they're living in ruins with no walls, what does that mean? That means that there is no protection, there is no covering, that the enemy could be able to come in and just steal whatever they had. They were able to rebuild the temple, but they did not put anything of value in the temple because they know it could be stolen because there were no walls on the walls his heart is aching and breaking when he sees the conditions of the people and the way that they're living hope well do we have a burden we wear it in our shirts we say it all the time oh we know it by heart bring help to our city restoration to our community and hope to our world but do we have a burden for what we're wearing Bible says that Nehemiah gets the word and before he moves in actions it's almost like someone pulled the rug from underneath his feet he fell before God look at what the Bible says the Bible says when I heard this he says I sat down and wept in fact for days I mourned I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Brother, you are 800 miles away. You are living good. You are eating good. You are dressing good. You're 8 800 miles away from some people that you don't even know and you sitting here crying about a wall you sitting here concerned about a people that you don't even know? Nehemiah had a burden that was not just centered around him. Okay, okay, okay. Here it is. I'm afraid that more than, we, that more than us developing disciples, we have developed selfish saints. That we have made church more about us than we have about him and serving those around us. Oh, if they don't sing my song, I ain't ain't moving, no, I ain't. We mean more about our preferences, but no burden for those that are lost. He's concerned. And his concern leads him to praying. Here it is. I like this definition of burden. It's, It's this a weight too heavy for one person to carry without God and others. A burden is a is a weight, it's a weight, it's a weight that is too heavy for you to carry by yourself. You need God, and you have to work in partnerships with others. You have to work in partnership with others in order to be able to bring the vision to pass. I love it. It's a weight too heavy to be able to carry by yourself, which we'll see in chapters later on. What Nehemiah does to be able to help solve the issues that are going on around him, but he has a burden for those and the conditions that he is living in. He is Bothered by, I have to use my sanctified imagination that he's bothered by it to the point that he can't sleep at night. He can't eat, he can't think because he's constantly thinking about the walls being down, that families cannot sleep well at night. Fathers are on edge because they can't sleep right because they're concerned someone may come and try to take my wife and my children. He has a burden. Burden leads him to have a concern, and the concern leads him to petition God. On what do? Let me hurry up. Let me hurry up. Then what does a godly burden look like? I know I say let me hurry up, but I'm still going to take my time anyway. Well, what does a godly burden look like? It's right here in the text, you all. A godly burden is, is grounded in humility and dependence upon God. It's right there in verse 5, the, the first part of verse 5. He says this, then I said, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of a family love with those who love him and obey his commands. I love it. It is the approach of Nehemiah as he comes before God. I love it. He said, hey, I don't want to get it twisted. I don't want people thinking I'm talking about some other God. I'm talking about the God of heaven. He says, I'm talking to the God of heaven. And the way that he approaches God, he says, you're great. He says, he's awesome. He says, you are a promise keeper. He comes before God humbly because he realizes that what I'm feeling and the burden that I have cannot be done alone or by myself. It's going to take a consistent dependency upon God to be able to do what needs to be done. Done. Saints, we know the story. We cast the vision of 2,000 backpacks with supplies. Ms. Chanel gave us that number over $19,000. We said, How in the world, in little old Carbondale from the northeast side of Carbondale, are we going to be able to fund? He raised $19,000 to fill 2,000 backpacks with supplies. We prayed we asked, we prayed some more and we kept on asking and then we kept praying and believing and we kept on asking and God granted the request by giving us overflow to have everything that we needed why because there was a constant dependency upon God and saying God this thing is too great for us you have to do something and we're relying upon you hope well our greatest strength that we have it's not in ourselves it's not in our gifting it's not in our talents it's in our humbleness and our dependency upon God and saying God if you don't do this it cannot get done God if you don't show up it's not going to happen let me tell in your marriage, in your family. God, this task is too big. I can mess this up on my own, but as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, I'm dependent upon you to give me what I need. Oh, I wish I had some hungry, humble folks in the house this morning that can say, Pastor Swims, I can't be too prideful because I'm too needy from God. I can't be too arrogant because I need God too much to do what I cannot do. And the moment that as a church, that we are dependent more on our skill set and our innovation and our creativity more than we are the strength of God. We handcuff the power of God from doing what he can do because we think we know it. Don't, 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 Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be innovative. I'm not saying that we should not be creative. What I'm saying is there is a balance of it. That in our innovation, in our creativity, that there is just still a dependency upon God. I, 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 I tell God all the time, I say, God, if I'm trying to lead without you, please help me because I can't do it without you. God, I can't pass without you. You've got to give me, but God, God, God if, I, if I'm getting in your way, God, scooch me over. Not scooch, scooch me over. Because I need you to help me in what I'm doing. Nehemiah realized that, hey, hey, I got to come humbly before God. I got to come humbly before God. I got to come humbly before God. And I like his approach because here it is. I think, I think, I think, I think we've gotten too comfortable with God and we've lost our reverence of God. And we just come to God like he's just some kind of homeboy and he's just my friend. He is our friend, but he is yet still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is yet still a strong and mighty God. And I like the approach that Nehemiah has when he comes before God. He's telling God how great he is. He's telling God how awesome he is. He's telling God what a promise keeper that he is. Before he makes any request, he comes before God with a humble spirit and acknowledging, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this in my own power. Because here's the reality of the fact, thank you, Pastor Chris Wesley. God can do more with the burdened person than he can with a gifted person. Oh, God, help me this morning. God can do more with a burdened person than he can with a gifted person. How so, Pastor? Because a gifted person will be dependent solely upon their gifts, their talents, and their abilities, whereas a burdened person is solely dependent upon God to empower them to do what no one else Look at you looking how you're looking. Gone through what you've gone through. And people say you make it look easy. If they only knew behind closed doors. Oh, what you have experienced, the tears that you have cried. I oh, have you going back and back and back and back and back and forth with yourself, and only to realize with the testimony that how you see me now is not because of me, it is because of God. It is because of God stepping in and being God, stepping in and lifting up my head. Stepping With the gift, with a burdened person, than he can with a gifted person. He's dependent upon God, and he approaches God with humbleness. A burden, a godly burden. Secondly, <laughs> is saturated in persistent prayer. Look at the church. He says, verse 6. He says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. Oh God. Nehemiah says, Oh God of heaven, you're awesome. You're great. You're wonderful. He said, if you just tipped over and looked down, you'll see me praying night and day. Uh Let me add further context in that. He's praying the same prayer in the morning and at night about a people 800 miles away that he don't even know. (laughs) Nehemiah is praying the same prayer twice a day, consistently, all the time, about a people 800 miles away that he don't even know. When's the last time we prayed for somebody, not ourselves, that we didn't know or connected to for their well-being and for God's will to be done in their lives? When's the last time we had a concern or a burden about someone that we would not benefit from, that we were praying for God to do something amazing in their lives. When's the last time that we took the light and the attention off of ourselves and put it on someone else that was in a greater need than we were in and wasn't looking for anything in return, but praying because we had a burden and had enough faith to believe God to do for them what no one else could do Nehemiah prayed in the morning and in the evening the same prayer every day he was persistent in his approach to God in praying on behalf of Israel that God would solve the problems that God would heal the land, that God would restore, that God would protect, that God would provide for them. When's the last time you prayed for somebody other than yourself? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about family members. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about, I'm talking about folks that you don't even know. that your burden leads you to talk to God on their behalf. What are you saying, Pastor? There's much work to be done and the work that has to be done has to begin in prayer to receive our instructions on what we need to do when we need to do it, and how we need to do it. It's in prayer that we gain the insight that we need and the strategies that we need to do what we need to do. It is in prayer that we build that constant dependency upon God to intervene and do what nobody else can do. Last thing, a godly burden, uh-oh, I'm about to curse, includes repentance. I like it. Verse 7, don't get mad at me on my first Sunday back. Here it is. We, no, he says, I confess that we have sinned against you. He says, yes even my own family and I have sinned we have sinned terribly but not obeying your decrees your commands and your regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses when he says when he says commands when he says decrees and regulations he's just simply talking about the word of God he said we have gone against your word we have intentionally and deliberately made up in our minds that we're going to do what we want to do what our preferences are what makes us feel good what makes us look good what makes us Sound good. If it's good, we're gonna do it because it's good and it's for our good, and we don't care what you have to say in your word. I love Nehemiah's approach because he does not say, Well, God, if we sin, He said, We have sinned. He said, In fact, me and my whole family, we all have sinned, we all have gone against what Moses has told us from your word to do. Realizes that before I ask a great God to do anything great on my behalf, I come before Him humbly and I confess my sins. He realizes. That we're not going to take a step farther in our approach and what we're trying to do and not say, God, we have sinned against you. Because here's the, here's the thing. It's not even if we have sinned. It has been. How many times has it been, God? What was it? What did I say? What did I do? How did I respond? What was it? What was my text message? What was my email? What was it, God? Godly burden is not just a concern for others, but it's also, it leads us to repentance so that we can be able to come before God as a psalmist says, with clean hands and a pure heart. Nehemiah takes the right approach as they start Process of rebuilding and starting over again. God has used us to do great work when it comes to back to school. The region knows hope well and back to school. But that's just once a year. When there are Lives that are lying in ruin all around us every day. It's not just good enough that we come in and we have good church and we go about our day. But how has that good church that we've had empowered us or impacted us to go out to make a difference? How has having good church helped us not just outside, but inside? Making sure marriages are solid. Making sure singles know no, no, that they have purpose. Pouring into our children. That's not just the church of tomorrow. That church of right now. And figuring out how do we regain the the attention of our teens again because we've lost them. It's not just enough to have good church. It's even better to have impactful church when lives are being transformed through the ministry of the word of God. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm challenging us that we get our burden back. That we get our burden back. we we, We get our burden back. Not just so for what's beneficial for us, but how can we make life better for those that are around us? How can life be transforming for those around us? All right. If you don't hear nothing else, that I say I want you to get this big idea. The burden won't leave until the problem is solved. We will continue to be burdened until the problem is solved. And here it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The burden is not just for the shepherd. The burden should be for the house. Am I preaching? This ain't virtual church no more. I said the burden is not just for the shepherd, but the burden is for the whole entire house. Pastor Barnes, one of our former pastors, used to say something to us all the time. So I always say, if you want to know where I'm going, meet me on your face. Meaning, meet me in prayer. And you will know where I'm going. You will know where we're going. The burden will not leave until the problem is solved and what I am uniquely seeing God do in the life of our church. And, it hap- and it's happening organically. where well, God is opening up doors for the church to bridge over into the school system to make an impact. I tell you, it's happening organically, and there's nobody but God that he's opening the door, (laughs) opening the door for us to be able to bridge the gap between community, Brother Gear, we talked about this, and the church. Uh, And for the church, not from the standpoint that we go into the schools and wanna have a three night revival and tell folks they're going to hell. No, to go into the schools and to build relationships and to serve the schools. Okay, I'm gonna say this then we're gonna go. One of the the district administrators reached out to me. She said, Pastor, we're putting a team together, writing a grant for us to go to a training at Harvard University in Boston, to receive training to come back to Carbondale to implement bridging the gap between the community and the schools. I want you to be a part of the team. If we get the grant, will you wanna go? I said, yeah, yeah, I wanna go, why not? Yeah, yeah, I'll go. Think to myself, ah, you got all these people applying, you know, probably ain't gonna get the grant or whatever. I mean, I had faith. But I just thought, hey, so many people probably applying from all over the world, we may not get it. We get the grant, get the grant get the grant. She said we get it. I said say less my bags are packed when we're leaving. We go. Lady that says the reason why we picked District 95 to be a part of this cohort is because they had someone representing the religious community. We've been trying to figure out ways of how to be able to Include the religious community in bridging the gap between the schools and the community out of all the different school districts that were there I was the only pastor in the room God is uniquely and divinely and organically. Opening up the doors for us to be able to go in and to be able to impact. Why? I still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I still believe that the local black church is the hope of the world. I still believe that our children need to see strong black men before them. I still believe that our kids need to see strong black women before them. I still believe that there needs to be a reinstitutionation of the church where people can, be, people can be able to see that the church still has a part to play in the community. Amen. Organically, God is doing it. What do you do when God opens the door that you can't even shut? What do you do when God just swings it open unexpectedly? What even? What even asking for? Thank you, well, the healthcare system is saying, Pastor, what can we do to help Black and Brown people to be more comfortable with going to the physicians? I said, I'm so glad you asked. Opening doors. For the betterment of those all around us. It starts with the burden. But it doesn't just stop right there. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now. For how awesome you are, how amazing you are. I pray, God, that your word has not fallen on deaf ears this morning, but that those that have ears, let them hear what you're saying to the church in this hour. God, in all that was said and done, let no one see it as being arrogant. Let no one see it as being prideful. Let no one see it as bragging, God, but it's just showing what happens when you're faithful and you serve a big God. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, oh God, that you will ignite a fire in the hearts of every hope well member, Father God, that the burn that I have will become contagious. (laughs) Oh God, that it will be so contagious that we're not looking for a vaccine to take care of it, but that we want it, we want it, we want it. That we want the burden, God, so that we can be able to execute and do what you have called for us to do. And it's in the strong, powerful name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.